So happy new year again. It's, it's really wonderful to be back with you all. Uh, it's especially wonderful, many of you know this, because you have been in another part of the country for the past week or so, and you appreciate the third value of our church more than you ever have in your life, which is that we are a church that is city positive. And so when you were in the Northeast or the Midwest or anywhere else where it was like negative 1,000 degrees, you're like, I love Miami. I'm not going to complain about Miami anymore. Miami winter is amazing. We went up actually to the Northeast and we were in Philly and we took a little vacation for a week and we road tripped down from Philly to Asheville. And so we were in the midst of the... I think it was called like, like a nuclear weather bomb or something, or something about a bomb and weather. And I was like, I don't know if I'm made for this. But we were traveling through and it was bitter cold, but we had a great time. I can do the cold for like a few weeks, you know. But months on months, I was like, no, thank you. Like I'm a Miami man. I'll take September and I'll take August in Miami for the Miami winter. I don't know if you were out of town, if you were here, it was cold for us in Miami as well, about 45 degrees in the morning and 50 during the day, which means you wear every single sweater that you own and maybe multiple pairs of jeans. But listen, when you are in weather that is like single digits, you think to yourself, maybe the bones underneath my skin are freezing and they're going to crack. I mean, it's like, it's like terrifying. You know, I can do it for a little bit, but months on months, I love Miami and, and I think some of you appreciate Miami much more now that you interacted with the weather bomb or whatever that was. I didn't know. It was just terrifying. When I was like, don't turn on the weather channel. But, you know, I love getting away after Christmas. And I love actually going to the cold after Christmas. It's relaxing. It's refreshing. You get to experience winter for a brief period of time, which I, I love. But also, when you vacation after Christmas, it gives you a kind of break and a time to get away and to reflect, right? New Year's in general causes this reflection in us. We begin to think back on 2017. We think about the goals that we had and we wonder, did we accomplish them? We think about our dreams and how have they progressed and have we grown? And what about our professional goals and our relational goals? And, and we kind of evaluate the year. Maybe you graded or maybe you just have a, a sense of like, it was a good year, it was a rough year. And then you look forward to 2018, right, as you come into the new year and you're maybe doing that now. Maybe you waited on resolutions. Maybe you're like, I'm not going to do resolutions because I can never hold them. I've done the gym every single year and I've never made it past three weeks, right? But you begin to look ahead and you say, okay, what do I want to accomplish in 2018? What are my goals? What are my dreams? And, and how am I going to continue to move forward in what I feel is my calling and my purpose, you know, dreams are an important aspect of life. We all have them, right? They drive us. We have dreams that we want to accomplish and we want to make an impact and we want to impact other people's lives, impact the world, and we want to accomplish the things that we think we've been gifted in. But dreams can also be really discouraging, right? You can kind of feel like, you know, I'm not actually accomplishing the things that I thought I would at this point in my life. I'm not where I thought I would be. And it can be really discouraging, and you can think to yourself, you know, like, man, I look around, and I especially look on social media, and it seems like everyone else has clarity for their life. Everyone knows their talents and their calling and their purpose, and they're all positive all the time. And you think to yourself, like, everyone else has clarity, and I simply feel cursed. Like, I, I feel like I'm just in the same spot, and I'm just kind of running the tires over and over and over again. I'm not really moving anywhere. And if I am, it's like minimal steps. Well, tonight, as we launch into Overcome Season 2, where last season, when we were in Overcome, we were looking at the life of Jacob. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph for the rest of this season. 
we start out with a discussion on dreams. Previously in Overcome, as we did last semester, we focused on Jacob. Jacob is the father of Joseph, who we'll be focusing on for this season. And Jacob, we followed his life from the time that he was young. He's a man that was very prideful and he was very selfish and he had dreams for his life. And his dreams were that he wanted to have all the blessings and all the fortune and he would do whatever it took to get that. And you saw in his life how he stole the birthright and the blessing and the fortune from his brother. And his brother wanted to kill him and he, he ran off. And when he ran off, we begin to see his transformation as he surrenders to God and as he begins to interact with God and God begins to change him and grow him and you see some of the selfishness and some of the pride wear off and he finds a wife, but he actually finds two wives because he's tricked himself and at the very end of the story, as the end that we talked about, we saw that there was actually a reconciliation between Jacob and his brother Esau because when Jacob left, it was because his brother wanted to kill him because he stole his fortune and his blessing and his birthright. But there's a reconciliation at the end and, and we were excited about what lies ahead for Jacob. Well, what's happened where we pick up the story is Jacob has many sons now. He has 12 sons. And the story is gonna change focus from Jacob to Joseph. Joseph is the 11th son of 12. He has 12 sons and Joseph is the 11th. And as we read tonight in our text, verse 2 signals that we're going to have this change. Look what it says. It says, these are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. So now we've switched from Jacob to Joseph. Being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives. So Joseph is almost the youngest. He's the second youngest in the family. He's 17 years old, and he's a shepherd, but he's not the main man because he's young. He's kind of an assistant shepherd to his other brothers, and he is out in the field with the brothers of Bilhah and Zilphah. And if you were with us last season, you're thinking to yourself, like, who are they? Because Jacob, we thought, had two wives, Rachel, who he loved, and Leah, who he didn't love or hated. And Leah was able to give Jacob wives, but Rachel wasn't. And, and who, who are these women? Well, here's what happened. Rachel, who is barren, wants to provide something to the family, and she can't have children. And so she tells Jacob, her husband, you can have my maidservant, and she can give you more children, because I know it's important for you to have more children. And so she gives Bilhah to Jacob, and he has two children, two sons with her. And then Leah, who constantly is trying to earn Jacob's love time and time and time again, and Jacob never actually loves her, but he's try she's trying so hard. She says, well, listen, if Rachel's going to give her maidservant, and I'm no longer having kids, even though I've produced many kids for Jacob, I'm going to give my maidservant too, which is Zilpha. So think about the context of this family here. We have Jacob, who has two wives and two maidservants, but he has children with all of them because what we come to find at the end of the story is that God looks at Rachel and it says that God remembers Rachel in her mourning and in her despair and he enables Rachel to have two sons as well, Joseph and then Benjamin. Benjamin's the youngest, he's the 12th. So this family, you can tell, is set up for a lot of dysfunction. You have a father and four mothers and then 12 sons. It's not going to end very well. And so 
Joseph is out in the field. He's with his brothers. He comes back, and here's what it says. Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So we don't know exactly what was happening, but we know that Joseph was out in the field with his brothers. His brothers are older than him, and he's just kind of assistant tag-along. And they're doing something wrong. The, the text reads in such a way that, like, his brothers are not good people. So we don't know exactly what they were doing. They were messing around. They are causing mischief. And he comes back, and he tells on his brothers to dad. He gives a bad report. And the text reads in such a way, though it never specifically tells us, it feels when you read this that Joseph is this, like, holier-than-thou, self-righteous tattletale and he's out with his brothers, and his brothers don't want anything to do with him because he's the brother that goes home and tells daddy everything that happened. He snitches on his brothers. And there's a biblical scholar named Mir Sternberg. I love the way he puts this. God's future agent and mouthpiece in Egypt, right? This is the focus, the main character, Joseph, and God is going to do great things through him, could hardly make a worse impression on his first appearance. Spoiled brat, tailbearer, and braggart. He's out there, he's with his older brothers, and he comes back and he tells daddy what they did. And they're not too happy about that. In verse 3, it then says that Israel, this is Jacob's new name, so Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. How do you think this is going to go? They're out in the field, they are doing something, Jacob comes, Joseph comes back and tells dad that the older brothers are doing something wrong, and then it tells us that Jacob loves Joseph more than the other brothers. And then it says that he made him a robe of many colors. So Joseph comes back and he tells on his brothers to dad. And dad says, I love you more than them. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you this coat. This is the Technicolor dream coat, right? I'm going to give you this coat. And I'm going to wear it because it's going to symbolize to your brothers that I don't care what you do because I love you more than them. How do you think this went over? <laughs> right? They're expecting Jacob to maybe tell Joseph, listen, you, you, you can't, don't snitch on your brothers. Like, or maybe scold the brothers but say, listen, like, that's not a, a wise way to foster a relationship with your brothers. And yet he gives them this coat, which is a symbol to the rest of the brothers that Joseph is the chosen child, not the oldest because Joseph doesn't, jo Jacob doesn't care about hierarchy in the children, but Joseph, the 11th child, the 17-year-old boy, is going to get all the fortune and all the power over the family once Jacob passes on, because he loves him more. And as you can understand, the brothers are not excited about this. In verse 4, it says, But when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You saw this coming from a mile away. And then verse 5, it says, Joseph had a dream. So dreams are very common in the Old Testament. Dreams are, uh, it's a mode of divine communication. And so they would have completely understood this, that God spoke to his people in dreams. I think he still does. He speaks to Joseph in a dream. And this dream specifically for Joseph is a prophecy. It is a dream about what will happen and what will take place in his life. And we'll see this unfold throughout this season two of, of Overcome. But he has this dream, and it says that when he told the dream to his brothers, they hated him even more. Here's the dream. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. For all the city people here, sheaves, I googled it, is barley or wheat that's wrapped up in like this thing. I don't know, maybe to transport it. But it's barley and wheat wrapped up. So 
They're in the field. They're binding up these sheaves. And behold, Joseph says, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to it. You're thinking to yourself right now when you're reading the story, like, Joseph, bro. <laughs> okay. I understand that God's given you this dream. This is divine communication. This is prophecy. And it's important for you to communicate this to your brothers and to your family because God's given you this dream. And it's important to communicate what God has given you as the plan that he has for your life. But this is not the time. Like you just told on your brothers, they hate, hate you. They can't speak peacefully for you. Your dad has just told them that he loves you more than them. And he's given you a coat that is a robe that is symbolizing that you are royal, that you will have fortune, that you will have power and authority. And now you're telling them you have a dream where they're going to bow down and worship you. And as you expect, says the brothers said to him, are you indeed, you 17-year-old little brat, are you going to reign over us? Or are you indeed going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. I mean, what did you expect? And then it only gets better. It says he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers. And you're like, Joseph, bro, come on, man. And he said, you got to give Joseph some credit, right? At least he has confidence. He's like, I'm just going to tell them the next dream. Here we go. And he says, behold, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He's now taking it to the next level. So he's, he's, now he's telling not only his brothers, but his, his father and his mother. And at this point, it's not actually his mother, Rachel. She's passed on. It's a surrogate mother. But he's looking at his father and his mother and his 11 brothers. He's saying, here's the second dream, guys. This time, not only are the 11 brothers represented as the 11 stars going to bow down to me, but also, dad, you're the sun. You're going to bow down to me. Mom, you're the moon. You're also going to bow down to me. How do you think this went over? I mean, like he's just taking it to the next level. He's looking at his entire family. He's saying, listen, the entire social fabric and hierarchy of this family, what is normal is going to be reversed. Because me, Joseph, 17-year-old shepherd who is an assistant shepherd even at that, I'm going to rule over this entire family and you're all going to bow down to me. Says his father, when he heard this, he rebuked him and he said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come bow down to the ground before you? I mean, this is troubling to Jacob. Jacob does not subscribe to the hierarchy of children. We know that because he stole the birthright and the blessing from his older brother. And now he's given favor to Joseph, who is the, one of the youngest children in the family. But certainly, Jacob is not about to let his kids reverse the order of hierarchy and power and authority in terms of the parent to the child. He's not okay with this. He's like, really? So your brothers and me, the patriarch of the family and your mother, we're all going to bow down to you. He's got to be thinking to himself so many things in his head. Like, is Joseph telling us that he's planning a coup? Like, what, I mean, what exactly is going to happen here? What's going to unfold? I mean, it's not as if Jacob's family is not well off. I mean, they have plenty of sons to work the field. They have livestock. They're doing well. They have a large fortune. So what is it that's going to cause Joseph to stand before his family where they bow down to him? It says in verse 11, which is really interesting, that it says his father kept this saying in mind, which is to say it wasn't that he wasn't angry. He was certainly upset and he was angry. He rebuked him. But he took it seriously. He took the dream that was given to Joseph seriously, though he didn't like it. 
But his brothers, they did not take it seriously. They were not okay with it. They were angry. It says in verse 11 that his brothers were jealous of him. That's understandable, right? Joseph has his father's love. He has his father's fortune. He's got the technicolor, cool-looking dream coat. He's got the dreams from God. He's got the promise of power and authority in his life. He's got everything that they want. And they do not want Joseph to succeed. They do not want good things to happen to him. They want what he has. They feel entitled to what Joseph has. And this is the moment in the story, right, when you're reading a book or a movie where you know exactly what's going to happen next. You know that Joseph is cursed. You know it's not going to work out well for him. Something's going to happen to him and the brothers are going to be involved. This is what is going to happen. And as we continue in our series next week, you're going to see exactly what happens as the brothers attempt to murder Joseph and decide, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery and make some money off of him instead and then go tell dad that he died by some animals that attacked him. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking about this story as it launches into the life of Joseph, maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, like what, what am I supposed to take away from this? Am, am I supposed to take away simply like, if I'm a father or a mother, don't play favorites with my kids. I mean, that would be wise. Am I supposed to take away that I shouldn't have some kind of hatred or jealousy with my siblings, that I should want them to succeed and I should encourage them and be excited for success that comes their way? I mean, certainly that's also a good thing to take away. But I think the thing that's jumping off the page here as, as I'm reading this and processing this for myself is that dreams can be dangerous. They can be dangerous. We all have dreams, right? Professional dreams, relational dreams, familial dreams, dreams to impact others in our life, to impact the industry that we're in, to impact the world. And from the time that we're young, we are asked this question, right? Here's the question that you're asked when you're a child. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be? What do you want to accomplish? And there's an expectation below that question that we're going to follow this kind of American dream formula, right? Like our answer to that question is going to be something like this. Well, I want to get a great education. Then I want to find a career. And then I'm going to find love. And then I'm going to buy a nice house. And then I'm going to buy a nice car. And I'm going to travel frequently. And I'm going to retire early. That's my dream. That's my life. That's what's going to happen. And then as you grow up, you realize, like, that's a little bit more complicated, right? It's, it's much more difficult to see one of those line items realized in your life. It, life doesn't go the way that you expect it when you're young and someone asks you, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to be? What are you going to accomplish? It's much more difficult because when you're young, you don't factor in some other parts of the equation like difficulty and setbacks and tragedy. You don't factor those things in. And so dreams can become difficult for us to process, right? And, and yet what we're told since we're young and as we grow up even, and even maybe now, as you're facing this difficulty where the formula isn't really adding up and it's not working out, you're just told, listen, just go for it. Just, if you want it, you can have it. Just make it happen. And you're like, I'm trying. And I mean, it's not really happening. I'm, I'm, I'm trying a lot. And so what happens is, as we begin to face the difficulties of life, and as our dreams intersect with the tragedy and the setbacks and the roadblocks and all the different things that we face, 
we begin to think to ourselves, you know what? Maybe I should just stop dreaming. <laughs> Maybe I should just be present in the moment and I'll just like one day after the next. I'm not going to have any grand plans because every time I do, I never accomplish them. I just feel discouraged. Which that's not good. Or what we do is we kind of double down, right? We take the formula and we say, I'm just going to add to it. So I'm not only going to have an education, but I'm going to have a great education. It's going to be graduated. I'm going to keep going to school until the day I die because I think I need to keep going to school, right? Some of you are in that. And I want to find a career, but the career that I find I have to love. I need to love it every single day that I go to it. And it's going to make me a lot of money or at least enough money for me to buy everything that I want that I think will make me happy. And then I want to find love, but the person that I choose to love, I want them to be pretty much perfect. And I'm going to buy a house, and maybe it's a little bigger, a little bit smaller, but the amenities are nicer, right? And then I'm going to buy a nicer car. Maybe I'm not going to buy a car. I'm just going to lease a really nice car for every three years. So I get a new one every three years. And I'm going to travel even more than I thought, but it's going to be exotic. Like I'm going to Cambodia. I'm going all over the place, you know, like traveling the whole world. And the retirement age is going to come up a little bit more. Like surely I'm going to accomplish all these things. And here's the, the problem. Here's why dreams can be dangerous. Because they can be unrealistic and then they're discouraging. Or... They can be generic, and they're not directed by God at all. We're just following some formula that we've been expected to follow, and you're adding to it, or you're taking away from it, or you're just feeling like, you know what, I'm just not going to have dreams at all. And what we see here with Joseph is that his dreams, the dreams that God gave him, were not generic at all, right? They weren't generic. I mean, maybe they seemed unrealistic to his family, but they weren't unrealistic because they were given to him by God. They were God's plans revealed to him that became his dreams. He wasn't pressured into them. He wasn't told by his dad, this is what the, the trajectory and the path of your life is going to be. His dreams were given to him by God. And then he began to speak them because he trusted that that was God's plan for him. See, this is how dreams work. When God reveals to you his plan for your life and it becomes the dream of your life, it's not because social media has pressured you into this certain trajectory. It's not because your parents have told you this is what you need to do with your life. It's not because culture and our society has created this formula that you have to follow. And if you don't have all the different parts of the formula, you're not going to have a successful and good life. You see, dreams given by God are his plans revealed to us. That's what happens in the life of Joseph. See, his dream and what will be the trajectory of his life, it wasn't created by him. It was given to him. He was made aware of it. And that's really important because God has a plan and a purpose and meaning for every single one of you in this room. He has one for me as well. He has one for all of his children. And it is exciting. And it is good. And it is going to impact other people. That is what God wants to use you for. He has a, a plan for you. And he wants it to become your dream. But here's the problem. Though God has a plan that he wants you to discover... That's his plan for you. We oftentimes take our plan and we tell God to make it happen. Right? God has a plan for you that he wants you to discover. But that plan is not your plan that you ask God to make happen in your life. And you get mad if he doesn't. See, God's plan for you may not fit the formula that you have. It 
certainly won't be easy. And as we're going to see in Joseph's life, though his plan that God has for him, that's the dream that's been given to Joseph, is exciting. and He's going to be powerful and he's going to have authority. It's not going to be an easy road to get there. God's plan for you may not fit your formula and it certainly is not going to be easy, but it will be good and it will be exciting. I experienced this in college. Um, Being a pastor was not in my formula, like at all. Like it wasn't even on the page. And I had been interacting with ministry um, from my freshman year to my sophomore year because I needed a job over the summer. And uh, the church that I was going to told me they'd pay me. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And God began to work in my life and he began to speak to me. And I had this really unique experience. I'm a very stubborn person. I still am very stubborn. And so this is how God had to reveal to me his plan. I'm sitting there during a sermon and I had what I can only explain as a Holy Spirit-like experience, this dream-like experience where God confirmed to me his calling. And he revealed to me that he's called me to be a pastor. And this was his plan. And certainly was not my plan. It was not my formula. But I sensed in my soul that this was exactly what God wanted me to do. I had been asking him questions. I had been wrestling through that for some period of time. And he confirmed it this one night. And that night I knew that, like Joseph, I had to go tell people. I didn't want to tell people. And so I had to tell my friends that night. And I called my family and I told them that I'm going to be a pastor. Now, it was much easier than Joseph because Joseph was probably afraid his brother was going to kill him on the spot. But it, it was hard to, to vocalize and to share the plan that God had for me. And then the next morning I went to the administration office at Florida State and I said, hey, listen, I'm going to leave the business school and I'm going to study religion. And they looked at me like, are you out of your mind? Like, what do people do with religion? I was like, I'm just, I'm, I don't know, just, I'm going to do it. And now being down God's plan for me and that becoming the dream of my life, I, I wouldn't do anything else. I love it. it and it's not easy. But I love it, and I know that this is what God has called me to, and, and God met me in a very unique way to reveal to me his plan, and he changed my formula completely. And he has one for you as well, and the reality is, is when you come to find God's plan for you, and when you surrender to him and you ask him to reveal it to you, he will in fact do so. And like Joseph, the response is to be to actually trust it and to follow it, even if it's going to cause tension in relationships. Joseph is willing to communicate his plan that God has for him, his dream to his family, to his father that he loves and that loves him, and to his brothers that already hate him are going to hate him even more, and to his mom who we don't know, but now she's probably not going to like him either. He's willing to communicate God's plan for his life, even if it's difficult because he trusts that it is, in fact, God's plan. You know, when we read this story, we think to ourselves, you know what, I want to be like Joseph. I'm like Joseph. But if you're honest, and if I'm honest, we are way more like the brothers, right? We are much more like the brothers than we are Joseph. The brothers had dreams too, right? They had dreams. The problem was Joseph was getting in the way of their dreams. They wanted what Joseph had. They felt entitled to what Joseph had. And so because Joseph, this 17-year-old punk, is trying to tell them that they're going to bow down and worship him and dad loves him and they want dad's love and they want dad's fortune, they want the power and the authority and the prestige, they're going to do whatever is necessary to get Joseph out of the equation because they have their dreams and they have their way and they're going to do whatever it takes to get it. They want the coat. They want the praise. 
You may think to yourself, you know, Carter, I'm not, I'm not like the brothers, though. I mean, they're, they're pretty bad people. I'm not like the brothers. I was asking myself some questions this week as I was reflecting on whether or not I act like the brothers. And here are some questions that may cause you to realize that you're a lot more like them than you think. The first one is this. How do you feel when someone tells you no? Like, no, that's, that's not going to work for you. That's... How do you feel when someone tells you that your behavior is wrong? As Joseph comes back and tells their father about their behavior. How do you feel when you can't have something that you really want you feel entitled to? How do you feel when someone doesn't follow the expectation that you have for them? As the brothers look at Joseph and he is stepping out of line. And maybe in a simple way, how do you feel when you post a picture on Instagram and you begin getting a lot of positive comments? Do you think to yourself like, oh, come on. I hate that everyone's saying so many nice things about my picture, you know, like, I don't want the praise. I didn't put it up there for that, you know. (laughs) We all want praise. We all want power. We feel entitled to certain things. And when people get in our way and when things get in our way, the reality is what we naturally bend to is to remove that person or that thing from the equation because they're getting in the way of our path. And that's what the brothers do. And you have to ask yourself, why were the brothers so angry with Joseph? Why couldn't they celebrate what God was doing in his life? Well, it's because Joseph had what they felt entitled to. And they were not willing to interact with God and say, God, okay, I I thought this was my plan. I thought this was my path, but maybe it's not. Can you help reveal to me the unique plan that you've given me? They weren't willing to do that. They had it set and they were going to fight for it. And this is why dreams can be dangerous, because they can be ruled by our appetites. There's a great quote by an American author. It says, to be a human being is to be in a state of tension between your appetites and your dreams. See, the appetites are the things that we want now, that we feel entitled to filling now. There are cravings, and and we feel that we are entitled to fill those cravings in the moment. And there's a tension constantly between our appetites, the things that we want to experience, we feel entitled to experience, that we want to achieve, and we believe are ours, and then our dreams. And if we're not careful, our appetites can eat our dreams and can take them over. And we will fight for things that really aren't ours. And we can fight for a plan and a purpose that isn't the one that God has given to us. And anything in our way we will crush to accomplish a dream that maybe isn't the dream that God has given to us uniquely because we've been pressured into this certain path or told this is what we're supposed to do or following some formula that culture created for us. There's a chapter in James 4 in the New Testament that speaks about this and and why do we have all these relational problems and quarreling and and stress and anxiety and all these things as we're trying to move through life and, and here's what it says. It says, you, this is why. You want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and you're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. You see, once the things that we believe are our dreams and the plans for our life set in, whether or not we've been pressured into them or whether or not we've just clenched our fists and said, this is what I'm going to make happen, even if it isn't right for me. We will fight for it. And we will kill. Maybe not literally. 
but we will destroy other people in our path to accomplish this. And James says something pretty revealing and very convicting. And I think it's important for all of us to wrestle with this question because we're assessing our dreams going forward in 2018. He says, you wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? He's saying, you wouldn't bring these dreams that you have for your life and this plan to God, would you? Why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children each wanting your own way. He's saying, when you think about the things that you believe are the plans for your life and the dreams for your life, are you unwilling to bring those before God? Here's a great question to ask yourself. Would you feel uncomfortable asking God in prayer to bring favor and success to the plans that you have in your life, the dreams that you have. Because if you feel uncomfortable asking God for favor and success, it probably is revealing that you're following a plan that is not God's plan for you. You're just clenching your fists and trying to make happen what you believe is necessary for you. Listen, I, I, I would assume that very few of us here think to ourselves, you know what, I don't wanna follow God's plan. I just want to do my own thing. It's probably going to be better that way, right? If you're here and even if you're just searching and you're asking questions about God, you're not going to think to yourself, I want to have a, a life plan and a dream that's going to negatively affect a lot of people around me, right? I just, I just want to accomplish my goal. I don't care who gets hurt in the process. All of us, when we think about our, the dreams that we have for our life, we want it to have a positive impact on other people. We want it to be exciting and be thrilling and to be good for us and good for others. We want to make a difference. But somehow we always bend back to entitlement and anxiety and stress and discouragement and anger and frustration and this overall feeling of like, now, this is not what I planned and here's what we're told. Just go online and you will find this everywhere. Just keep it up. Just go for it. Just run after it. Just think positive. Make your dreams happen. And here's what happens. We fall in this endless cycle of exuberance as someone's telling us, just keep going. We're like, yeah. And then we get positive for a second and we keep going. And then we fail. And then we feel great sense of discouragement. And then we read another tweet. We're like, yeah, exuberance, and we're positive, and we're going, and then we fail, and then we are discouraged again, and then we just keep going in a circle around and around and around and around, and then we look at our life, and we reflect on our life as we're ending a year and going into a new year, and we say, I, I, what have I done? Where am I going, and what is happening? There's really good news at the end of James chapter 4. As we think about what it means to move the line forward and to walk forward in the path that God has for you. One, you have to make sure that you're walking in the right direction. And you do that by interacting with the one that's created the direction for you. And the good news is that he wants to interact with you. He wants to have a conversation with you. And this is what James 4 says at the end. It says, this proverb has it that he's fiercely jealous lover. God is a fiercely jealous lover and what he gives in love is far better than anything you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud, but he gives grace to the willingly humble. See, God is fiercely in love with you. As we sang earlier, it, it seems reckless because he's unconcerned with his safety. 
He, will, he goes to the cross to pay for your sin and your shame and your guilt, and he dies for you, for your salvation. He sacrifices his own safety for your salvation. And he loves you, and he has a plan for you, and he wants you to come to find and understand what his plan is for your life. And if that is true of God, if he loves you with that deep love, would he not also desire to help you to understand his plan for you? Why would he keep that from you? But see, in order to find the God's plan for you, you have to humbly come before him. You have to be willing to do this. You have to be willing to come before God in prayer and say, God, is this your plan? This thing I've been chasing, this thing I've been running, these things I've believed about myself, is this your plan? And if it is, please confirm it in my life. And then give me confidence to speak it to others and to run after it. And if it's not, let me know what is your plan for my life. And then as you move forward in the plan, and as you know what God's plan is for you, and it becomes your dream, it gives you the strength through his spirit and his grace to navigate the valleys because you know you're following after God's plan. You haven't been pressured into it. You haven't been told to follow it. It's not some formula given to you. It's God's plan revealed to you. You see, Joseph, though it appears he's cursed, he's not cursed. He's loved. And you're loved as well. And when you bring your dreams to God and you ask God, God, is this the dream that you have for me? And he confirms it or he tweaks it a little bit. It is thrilling to follow after it. It is exciting to follow after it. And so my prayer for 2018 for all of us is that we would humbly come before God and say, God, is this your plan for me? And if so, give me confidence. Give me strength and help me to follow you this year and be excited about whatever you bring. Let's pray.